Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Teresa. And we are the co-authors of the book, Pass the Baton, Empowering All Music Students. Our goal is to share stories of educators who are passing the baton and empowering their music students. We want to help teachers create music lessons that transform students from passive consumers to vibrant creatives. Welcome back to the Pass the Baton podcast. We're here to talk about all things student empowerment and music education. Before we introduce today's guest, we want to remind you to follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. In addition, if you like what you hear today, please consider leaving a rating or review. That's what helps podcasts like Pass the Baton grow. So Catherine, today's guest was was awesome. Um, you know, I've I've known Ashley for a few years now, mostly connecting through social media and um, the state music educator conference. But just to see her work um, and to see her talk about this really important topic of culturally responsive education was was pretty cool. Yeah, she was really easy to talk to, and I think um, she hit on some some reservations that many of us have, and some some strategies that we can take to kind of push forward. So it's great. Yeah. Yeah, I sometimes I, I'll be honest, I get like nervous with culturally responsive teaching just because I feel like it's something that I don't know enough about. But Ashley really made it seem like it was something that I can do. And even some aspects that I'm already doing um, that I could, you know, continue in the classroom. And it, it was, it was such a great conversation. All right. Welcome back, everybody. It's great to be here with you. Um, I'm excited today about today's guest, Ashley Cuthbertson. Um, we met, I met Ashley a couple years ago through the Virginia Music Educator Association, and we've crossed paths a bunch of times since then. And actually, Ashley was one of our featured encores in Past the Baton, which was really exciting. Um, but what's neat is when, when Ashley, when we interviewed you for that, it was all about technology. And today's focus is going to be a little bit different. So um, yeah. So Ashley, welcome. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to share. This is my first podcast interview, so I'm excited to get the word out there and get more music educators, um, more knowledge about how we can just be more equitable in our classrooms for all of our students. Awesome. Well, before we dive into that content, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you're doing these days? Yeah, so uh, I am a music educator in the Northern Virginia area, just outside of Washington, D.C., my full-time gig is I'm an elementary general music and chorus educator, but I've really taught literally everything from infants, uh, if you can believe it, all the way up through adults. I also am an adjunct professor at two universities in the Baltimore area in the summer, and then also right now I'm teaching a, a spring course for um, a university uh, just outside of Baltimore. And uh, I've been an educator for 12 years. I kind of came into it a little bit kind of backwards. I originally wanted to be a professional musician. My goal for a long time was to be the principal flutist of a major symphony orchestra. That was my goal for like a really long time. And then I kind of came to teaching when I was in college. I answered an ad, you know, to make some extra money. And I figured at some point I was going to need to have a private studio as I was getting, you know, auditions and things. And I found that I really loved working with kids. And I especially really loved kind of the, the puzzle of figuring out like what's going to work for this student versus this student versus like this thing is not at all working. Like I really love that. And I still love that the piece of like figuring out like what are the best ways to really get kids engaged and to love making music. So I kind of took a, a different route for a while. I was kind of teaching all over the place, but also performing as I kind of figured out exactly what I wanted to do after I got my undergrad. And then I decided that this is just what I wanted to do. So 
Um, I've taught in DC. I now teach in uh, Fairfax County, which is in the northern part of Virginia. And I and I love it. I love working with kids. I love helping them kind of discover the joy for music, but I also love connecting it to bigger, bigger things outside of our classroom. Yeah, well, today I know we had you on because we wanted to talk about the connection between culturally responsive teaching and student ownership. So just to make sure we're on the same page, like what is culturally responsive teaching and what does it look like in the music classroom? Yeah, great question. So culturally responsive teaching is basically using the backgrounds, the frames of minds that students already have with them as an asset to bridge into new content to make things more relevant and meaningful for them. And in our music classrooms, I like to think of it as using music as a vehicle for students to understand themselves, their own identities, to understand others who are different from them, but also really how do we understand the world and engage in um, developing a criticality, discerning opinions so that when they go out in the world, they know what they're experiencing and looking like. So the idea of culturally responsive teaching is how can we use the culture, which is just the value systems um, that folks have, like your workplace has a culture, your school has a culture, your college has it, like everywhere where there's people, there's a, like unspoken rules and things that people do or don't do, right? So how can we use those things that kids already understand, that context that they already understand? How can we bridge from that to the new content so we're not just putting all this random bits of information that things really have a connection? And that's how we make things really deeply understood is by making those connections instead of just trying to throw random bits of brand new information at them all the time. That's, that sounds, I don't know, it sounds so awesome. And it, it also sounds very logical to me, what you're yeah. saying, right? It's just good teaching, those, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's those connections that make it so valuable and so meaningful. And I guess, you know, I, I heard you say like little things like connection, making it meaningful, making it valuable. And we talk about that a lot with this whole like student ownership piece, right? We want students yeah. to have ownership of their music making because of that, because it becomes meaningful to them. So I've seen on social media and through some of your um, your blog posts and whatnot, you talk about like voice and choice, right? And you're talking about how this voice and choice, and we're like, wait, but we talk about voice and choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these, these things go together. So can you talk more about like, how does, how does voice and choice with responsibly, or sorry, culturally responsive teaching and student ownership, how do they go together? Like, tell us more about that. Yeah, well, I think it's like um, kind of the same thing, actually, right? Like, how do we be culturally responsive to our students? Well, first of all, we have to know who they are. How are we going to know who they are? Well, we have to hear their voice. We have to make sure that we're making space for that, that they have um, not just that they're uh, telling us what they like, what they're interested in, but also like, what are their opinions on stuff? What are they already coming in to our music classrooms already knowing. And then the choice piece, I think, is how we really help them to have the buy-in and the ownership over their learning. So when I think of um, like what are culturally responsive, like little strategies that folks can do in the music classroom, it really can be as simple as how can you take some kind of musical idea or a non-musical idea, make it musical. How can you take something that kids already are working with or understanding and how can you show them that, like this is something that you already know, but this is what it's called, or this is how they made it. This is how they did it, right? So that voice and choice piece is really critical because we can't be responsive to kids that we don't know anything about. We have to hear from them. Yeah, I think that like relationships, 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 right? Like you just have to know them. And we've talked about this, like especially like in our last few episodes, like mm-hmm. it just keeps coming back of like not just knowing about a group of kids, like typically 
general music K-5 kids are like this, but like, no, my kids in my classroom, in this classroom, within this, you know, like really knowing each and every one of your kids the best that you can, which is a challenge, right? I guess, I guess that's a question too. Like, how do you do that when we have so many kids um, in our classrooms? Yeah. And I think that's, especially at the elementary level, when you have people, I've known teachers who literally have like 800 students. I'm like, how do you even manage that? (laughs) Um, 800 kids. Like, I don't even know like how your schedule works, but I think it's really doable in any classroom. But even when you have hundreds of kids, I think it's about changing your mindset from like the typical beginning of the year activities that we all do that often stop once like you get into the real learning. Really, it's how can you have those just be a part of your regular lesson plans all the time that you're hearing from kids that they're sharing about themselves. Every day when I see my students, we have some sort of discussion on something. And part of it is because I want them to start to think about what the lesson is going to be. But also, I'm trying to learn more about them. I want to hear from them, what, like, what, what actually do you think about this? Do you have any experience with this? And it's a, just a very small thing that I do every day, but it allows me to always constantly be um, kind of in community with them beyond just like the music that we're going to make together. And it helps me to get to know them better, but it really takes over time developing those relationships. Especially when you only see them, you know, I only see my students twice a week. There's no way like a month of school of maybe I saw them five times. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to say that I know them. I, I think even now at this point of the year, some of my students that are, this is my first year working with some of them, like I'm still getting to know them even at this juncture. And that's how relationships work, right? Some people are more open books than others mm-hmm. and kids are the same way. Yeah. But I think one of the benefits that we have, we have to remember this is hopefully you get a multi-year relationship with these mm-hmm. kids, right? Yeah. Hopefully you can, you can develop that in kindergarten and continue to grow and, you yeah. know, get to know your students better over time. And obviously everybody is, is they're, they're changing over time as well and, and they're developing, but to be able to establish that relationship over several years is something really special for us as music it teachers. Is. Yeah. It's one of my favorite parts of being an elementary teacher is that I get to see them really from year to year and kind of grow up a little bit. It's very, it's very special thing that we get to have as elementary teachers. Yeah. Yeah. So can you give an example of, you were talking about like the little discussions that you might have, what, like, what's, what's that going to look like in a, in a class, pick a, pick your favorite grade. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Let's see. So at the end of, we just ended our third quarter. So my fifth graders were engaged in a unit on the blues And uh, ultimately, we created our own blues song. But all throughout the unit, I was because the blues is a totally foreign concept to you know my students. They had not had any experience with the blues before. And like I said before, culturally responsive teaching isn't necessarily that I'm trying to only do things that they are already really familiar with. How can I take ideas that are already like part of what they know and bridge that to new content? So everybody has the blues about something. Everybody has a frustration. Everybody has a struggle. Everybody has their own way of coping with it. And so a lot of the questions I would ask them were like that. What is something today that's giving you frustration? What is a time that you had something that was a struggle for you? What did you do about it? Little questions like that, that led us to just discussions to kind of open up. We were also writing the lyrics. So some some of the times the questions were to kind of um, prime their brains for later when I was going to ask them to, and now can you write a verse about something that you just shared? So some of it was kind of that, but some of it literally was because I was trying to get them to be connected to what we were seeing and hearing as far as the idea of the blues, which is a a fantastic way to express the very frustrations that all humans have. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, something that I think makes me think since I, I'm also um, in general music is um, you crafting lessons where those are embedded, like you just shared with us. Um, I think there's other been other times where I tried something new with the kids and it went unbelievably well. And, that, and I don't mean that, but just like you were like, wow, they really loved this. And sometimes even when they're lining up, you know, there's that kind of whatever, 30 seconds, one minute where you're waiting for the past, the passing of the kids coming, leaving the room and coming in where I've just asked them like today I saw this and this, and you were excited. Like, can someone share? Why was that? You know, why did you connect with that or what? And it's really amazing what you at, like what you get from that too. Just this, the 30 second exchange of like, to help me press save on that instructional chat strategy I did, or maybe it was the preference of the instrument we, we used, you know, the medium of what we did, but um, sometimes just asking them, you know, cause it was a, not a surprise, but, but yeah, a surprise to me, you know, and you learn so much that way too, of just like, why, why did you guys connect so much with that? So, Yeah. So I think sometimes also the other way happens where you're so excited about the lesson you're going to teach and then it kind of flops and you're like, yeah, oh, that's interesting. like, can you tell me like, what was it about this you didn't like? And I think that's okay. Yeah. I think students also need to see us as like adults kind of work through like, okay, I had, I was really excited for something. It didn't work out. How am I going to kind of uh, pick up and move forward? I think it's a good model for them to see us have that reflection as well. Yeah. And sometimes it is just because. I chose something that I was excited about and kind of forgot my audience or, you know, just didn't know them as well as I thought and, you know, missed the boat. And it, it, like you said, it's so good to know. And I think they respect that when you can say, you know, this was a little bit of a flop. Can you help me figure out why so we could, so I can, you know, make, make better for the next time or whatever, you know, and it doesn't have to be this big, horrible thing, but you learn so much in those successes and in those whatever you want to call them, like mini failures or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. But you're also modeling that re resilience and the kids need to see it. <laughs> Not yes. everything's going to work out the way we want it to. Right. And here's how we pivot and move on. Yeah. That's life. Yep. Yeah, that's such a, such a valuable thing for them to see. So what are some, you know, when you, when you give kids this, the voice and the choice in the classroom and you're building those relationships, like, is there, what do you see as the benefit to the students? Um, what, what's the change when you start to infuse that in your classroom? Well, one, I think the biggest change is that kids are just more willing to want to share even more, right? We start with uh, kind of surface level things at the more beginning of the year, and then we kind of move into me, well, me asking them things that are a little bit more deep, right? Once I feel like we've gotten a, to a place where I can ask those questions, like I've had their permission to do it. So I feel like especially the, um, and it looks different with different classrooms, right? Because literally different groups of kids have a different culture to them also. And so I would say like some classes where I feel like we have established like a really great partnership kind of culture together. It's almost like they are my peers in a way, like when we're talking about things, I often, like I, the last week of the quarter, I was asking them like, you know, we're going to start our next kind of unit. What do you think we should do as we're ending up the uh, ending the year? Like, what are some things that we haven't gotten to? Now, I already know instructionally, there's a few things that we still need to hit, right? But I am a creative enough educator that I can take their ideas for things and pair it to the standards I know that I still need to cover. And then there's other classes where they gave me a little bit, right? And so I'm already thinking, okay, that's interesting that they shared that or but that they didn't share as much. 
right? It gives me kind of data, like, all right, I'm still kind of building that uh, partnership. But I would say the, the biggest impact that I see on classes where I've really been able to, uh, and I'm the same person everywhere, right? So it's interesting to see that it, it looks different with different groups. I would say the biggest thing is that I feel more of a partnership with them, not so much that like I'm their teacher directing everything, but like we are together working um, yeah, in partnership, I would say that's that word partnership is coming up a lot when I think about what's the biggest thing I see. It's that. Yeah. I love that. Cause you know, yeah. as someone who taught like instrumental and, and secondary, we, you know, this idea of the band director, I I'm the one who stands in front and I, I do this and I do that. It's really neat to hear you talk about it as, as not that kind of environment. Like at least that's what I'm viewing, right? I'm not viewing you standing in front of the classroom the entire time and telling the kids what to do. I'm seeing you right there in the middle of all the, the yeah. of all the, the fun, you know, that, that vision of when the principal walks in and he can't find the teacher because she's right there in the mix with the kids. And, and I love that you're, it's, it's, that's what we really want to see is the kids. Yeah. The, you keep saying partnership, right? It's, it's a partnership. It's not your classroom. It's, it's our classroom, right? Yeah. It's all of us together. And how powerful is that for them to start to say, you know, I think our next step is this, you know, because that's so there's so much reflection in that and they're choosing a path for themselves. Like there's so much power in that. And I think it hopefully translates to later when they leave your classroom Mm -hmm. that they have confidence of like, no, I don't, I can do this without my teacher, you know? And that's a really awesome thing that they have that lifelong relationship with music beyond Mm -hmm. the classroom. Yeah. And I mean, I see evidence of it all the time when a student will say, oh, you know, that thing that we did in class, like I went home and I tried that. And this is what happened. I'm like, yes, that was the goal is I want you to go out of my 30 minutes twice a week and try some of these things. Like that's, that's so fulfilling for me as a teacher to know that kids are doing that because that's really the goal, right? Like it's nice that we did it in class, but I'm not going to be your teacher forever. I'm hopefully giving you tools that you'll be able to go home and try it on your own and, and really develop a love for wanting to do it over your lifetime. And yeah. do you see it go the opposite way too? Do they ever bring things into the classroom? Like, oh, all the time. I, yeah. Yes. Oh. One thing I'm working on now is a lot of my students are from El Salvador and Guatemala. And so I'm, I've been trying all year to figure out a way to incorporate some of those dance styles into our lessons. And so I have an idea. I don't know if it's going to work out in this last like two months, um, but I would love to have some community members come in because I'm not from Guatemala or El Salvador. But I would love to have some community members come in and share because the kids have shared a little bit. Um, but I think I think I'm still working towards them feeling this difference between like school music and home music. But I'm still trying to like break that barrier. And so they've shared a little bit with me. But I think what's really going to be the um, get us over that hump is to have like some of their actual community members that they see come and help us do something. So we'll see if it works out. I've been working on it for a couple of weeks now. So I think that would be a, a like the final thing to really get them to see that like I value your voice yeah. here over um, over really anything. I really want to hear your voice, and I want to learn too. And I'm I'm excited for what I might be yeah. able to learn. Oh, that's awesome! Well, please keep us posted on how that works out because that's. I will. We'll see. I don't know if it's going to work out yet, but I'm hoping. I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm working yep. on. It. We will. We'll keep fingers crossed for you. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's a good point too when we we kind of freeze sometimes as educators because we think we have to be the expert, mm-hmm. but we don't, right? And we can pull in an expert from the community, um, and they can, I think the kids value that, and the kids can see like we're all they're gonna they're gonna see you as a learner too, which is great, right? Like we don't know everything. And that's okay. Um, And I think there'll be value in having someone else share that their music as well. So 
I'm excited. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. All right. So if somebody listening is, is intrigued and they kind of want to, they're ready to dip their toe in, but they're not sure where to start. What would you, what advice would you give to a teacher who's, you know, they, they want to incorporate more culturally responsive practices along with this student ownership piece? Where should they start? Awesome. I think the very first place that teachers have to start is with themselves. You really have to do some critical self-reflection and examination to first understand, like, what are your own frames of reference? Like, how do you see the world? What has contributed to you being this way? Like, I think that's where you really have to start because next you're going to turn around and try to find some of those things out about your students. But I think until you've really done that work on yourself, it's really going to be hard to know um, how you're viewing some of that information. Are you really viewing it with like a clear lens or is it clouded by other things that you might be carrying along with you? So the first place is you got to start with some self-work on yourself to just know what is even, what makes up who you are. How did you become this way? What do you value? Yeah. Yeah. That's such, such a good point. Cause if we don't, if we don't think about ourselves and we just try to jump right in with the students, it's, it's, it's not going to go very far. Yeah. And I think there's also like little teaching strategies you can do. Like you can do what I do, which is just have there uh, be an open kind of question that you ask students throughout the year. Like that's a very easy thing that you can do while you're building your own critical consciousness and developing an own, uh, your own understanding of yourself. You can do that also. That's very, that's very easy to do. Mm-hmm. That almost reminds me of like the, the pandemic teaching when we would start every class period, we would usually start the class period with a very silly question. Like, you know, um, is a hot dog, a taco, you know, that kind of a thing, <laughs> but at least it got the kids, it got the kids talking and it got them yeah. engaging and, and things like that. It sounds like you probably start with some things that are light and then yes, go a bit deeper. Yeah. Cause you got to get them talking first and then you can start to go into the deeper stuff. But if they haven't, uh, develop like a comfortability with like the easier kind of questions and it's hard to get to the questions that really get to like the deeper levels of culture. So you got to kind of start with the easy. I do silly questions too. Would you rather uh, fly or would you rather swim? Like something super <laughs> easy and silly just to get them talking right um, before we get into more deeper things later in the year yeah. or in the unit. Yeah. That's true. So um, I think something we've been asking people lately is this idea of, of balance between, you know, empowering your students um, and fusing this culturally responsive uh, teaching and performances, you know, because performances feel like a big deal for us as musicians or music educators. So how do you balance the two? That's a great question. I think that they really need to both be um weighted in a similar way, but also thinking about like your particular situation. So I know that there's teachers who have immense pressure to do all of these different performances. And then there's teachers like me who it's kind of up to me if I want to do a performance or not. So like the the weight is still there, but it's different, right? Because I still think it's important that I'm taking my students through the artistic process. So we perform all the time, but not necessarily for an audience. And so I would say for teachers that have a lot of pressure to do a lot of performing and concerts and like public facing kinds of things, how can you have students interact and engage with music that allows them to really think about bigger ideas while you're still rehearsing and learning the pieces, but how can there still be a bigger theme to what you're doing? And that could be a a concert program that you're delving into um, community. 
How can you pick some pieces of music that allow for some conversations about community? Yes, you're still per, you know, preparing for a concert, but at the end of the day, you're still gonna have lots and lots of opportunities for kids to make bigger connections. And that's really what culturally responsive teaching is about. It's more than just the specific um, discipline. It's really about how can we prepare them for understanding themselves, others in the world through these bigger connections that we make through, you know, as music teachers through the music, but it really could be any, any kind of discipline that you're looking at. So thinking about like, could I have a program that focuses on a particular idea or theme? And I've seen some great ones recently. Um, I saw one that was kind of focused on the idea of voice. And I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. And I bet all throughout that process, while the students were still learning, you know, the technical skills to perform all of those songs, that there was so much rich discussion that was happening specifically about that theme, making that bigger connection to the idea of, of voice. I think that's, that's the way to do it if you're really trying to balance the performance pressure, which I know is really hard, with also big, making the bigger connections, which is, which is what culturally responsive teaching is. But that makes so much sense because really, if we're just performing the notes and the rhythms, what are we doing? Yeah. We need to have that connection piece, right? I think that's what makes that's what makes it music. Music isn't notes on a page. Music exactly. is the emotional connection that we put to it. So if we're not infusing that in our performances, they're falling short. Exactly. And I think it also makes the performance better, right? Because the mm -hmm. students aren't just playing the fact skills on the page. They are bringing the context to it. That's what really music is, right? Music is about expression, mm -hmm. but you can't get that from just playing the notes on the staff. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think sometimes it's easy for us to be like, no, but I see an F sharp, <laughs> you know, but I see, and, and just to, to focus on, on what we see and, and not going deeper into, you know, what we feel and, and how we feel about it. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's such a, a good way to put it and a good way to think about it. So I think the last thing we wanted to ask is just how can people connect with you oh, yeah. um, learn, and learn more about your work? This is, you know, there's so much you're doing that's awesome. So we want to know more about what you're doing. Yeah, uh, the easiest way to get in touch with me is to find me on my website, which is just www.ashleycuthbertson.com. My name, try to keep it simple for folks. So you can find me there. Um, I do have a email newsletter that I send out every week. Um, and that's usually where I also send out my blog posts that I write almost every week. <laughs> and so the easiest way to like to really keep up with what I'm doing is one, go on my website, but also to sign up for that email list because the email list is really um, where I'm cultivating a community of music educators that are really trying to make this transformation in our music ed space past just the reading the notes on the page and the facts and the skills, but like really how do we cultivate these bigger connections that make learning deep for all of our students, not just some of our students, but really everybody so that it's an inclusive space. Mm -hmm. And some of those uh, more insightful things I keep for the people who are on my newsletter list. So that's the best way to connect. I also do a monthly uh, free webinar series. Usually it's at the end of the month. And so if you keep your eye on like my social media or if you're on my newsletter list, um, you will have access to that. I usually do it like the last week of the month and then you have access to it for the week afterwards. So that's the best way. Oh, then I'm also on social media. So you can find me at uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, my handle is just at a Cuthbertson and the number 1010. And so I post a little bit about the things that I'm doing, but I usually do post if I have like a new blog post or a new PD that's out. So that's a great way to keep track of the events and things that I'm doing. Awesome. We'll make sure that we link all those things in the show notes. And as an email subscriber, I can 
you know, give a big thumbs up that that's something you definitely want to be, you know, yeah, awesome. to check out. Great. Yeah. And I'll also mention that in addition to my, you know, my full-time work, I also do PD with schools, districts, and organizations. And so if people are looking for me to work directly with you or your school team, I am booking now for next school year. And so if you're interested in that, you can reach out to me directly or, or find um, when I post some of those things and, and let me know what you're looking for, because I'm designing some things for folks now that are looking for um, beyond just a one workshop shot deal, like really a partnership to make this, this transformation happen. So let me know and get in touch if you're interested in that as well. Awesome. It's nice. so, it's always so refreshing to have PD that's relevant, <laughs> you yes. know, that like fits what a music educators actually need. So that's great to hear what you're offering. Yes. Yes. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for being here. I hope your first podcast experience was a good one. It was yeah. great. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun to chat with you both. Yes. Of course. All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'd also love for you to consider sharing this podcast with a friend and leaving a positive review. That's one of the best ways to get this message to new listeners.